Dear listeners, welcome to Faces of Digital Health, a podcast about digital health and how healthcare systems around the world adopt technology with me, Tiasha Zaitz. Telemedicine is becoming an archaic term in 2023. It's also too broad. We now have at-home hospitals, virtual wards, remote monitoring, and more. Video consultations and online patient portals saw a spike during the pandemic. And while many encounters have returned to the in-person setting, a lot of development is happening in the workforce optimization, which aims to reduce the burden on hospital infrastructure and also improve patient outcomes by bringing clinical staff back into patients' homes, provided they have the necessary conditions, equipment and support for at-home care. In this episode, you will hear from Swine Villasen, co-founder and CEO of Confrere, the leading telehealth company in Scandinavia, which was acquired by Delhi in 2022. Swine and I discussed the challenging landscape of telemedicine provision, expectations from generative AI, how software providers can sell to hospitals in the Nordic countries, and more. Enjoy the show. And if you haven't yet, go to fodh.substack.com to check out our newsletter. It only comes out approximately once a month. Now let's dive in today's discussion. Swine, welcome to the discussion on Faces of Digital Health, where we're actually going to talk a little bit about telemedicine, where is it to get day, where it's going. I must say that to me, when you say telemedicine, it's in 2023, it's an archaic term. It, my first impression is, why are we even still talking about this? If it was in 1993, it would be an innovative idea. But now video calls, digital interaction with patients is something that is very common in everyday healthcare provisions. So I have to ask you, what fascinates you about video calls in healthcare in 2023 and telemedicine? Thank you. Thank you. It's great to be here, Shasa. So, yeah, that's a big question. <laughs> it's called telemedicine, I think, because that's a kind of, it's a common industry after the pandemic. These companies that offer offer doctor consultations or healthcare provision only via digital means. Most of them have both a written component like a chat or a messaging service and also video calls. That's how I view telemedicine as a term, that it's now not, not a function or not something that the patient do, but rather an industry, like a whole industry. It's a term that describes that particular industry. Video mm-hmm. consultations as such has certainly become something that you do in, in both in the telemedicine industry, but also in, in traditional healthcare, primary care. You do it in specialty care. You do it in hospitals. It has definitely become part of everyday healthcare. And I think we are just at the beginning 
of that development. So maybe you can expand a little bit on that. So you are the co-founder and CEO of Confrere, which was the leading telehealth company in Scandinavia and was acquired in 2022 by another right. company. And if we really start thinking about digital communication and telemedicine, it becomes complex from the definition point of view very quickly because we've got virtual care, so just virtual communication. There's telemedicine where basically the only communication you have is through online means. You might talk about hospitals at home as something completely different, and it can refer to virtual wards where patients are discharged faster from the hospital and taken care of at home, or mm. it can actually refer to the home care, which is care for chronic patients or just to care that patients receive at home due to various conditions that they might have. So given that you said that we're still learning about this whole thing, what are the key learnings that you observe in, say, the last two years after the pandemic, after, to a degree, some institutions reverted back to in-person care by joining Delhi, we opened open a market to the rest of the world as well. And also we see that, that the way this industry is going is to provide a more integrated experience where telehealth isn't a function, a specific software that does only that. It's integrated in the other software that's used by practitioners, which then enables healthcare organizations to make good, good workflows for their patients and that ties well into the first part of your question, what's the challenge of the development and where it is going? So definitely there was a huge spike in the pandemic and it has come quite a way down, but it has come, it's not reducing further at the moment. It had a very specific reason for having that growth in 2020. But I think what we will see going forward is, is uh, that it will be more integrated into the ser service workflows that healthcare practitioners have, which makes for a slower but more sustainable growth. Which are the use cases that you detected or recognized as most useful for telemedicine? So where has this approach of just virtual consultations been most successful according to your experiences? Are there any specifics that you're observing on the Scandinavian market? How countries in Scandinavia differ? How What kind of attitudes different providers or different countries had towards you? What did you experience there? The reason why telehealth wasn't right from the start, embraced as the solution that everyone should use. Be because obviously it makes for things more efficient and patients don't have to go to the clinic. And also normally consultations are shorter than, than physical consultations. So both patients and providers recognize this as more efficient. But the reason why it wasn't immediately embraced as a good solution is because there is a number of conditions where you really should ask the patient to come and visit the clinic. Most follow-up consultations for chronic conditions, for example, can usually be taken remotely because it's usually just a discussion of how it's going. Maybe there is a blood sample. The blood sample can be drawn typically in a different physical place than, than the doctor is located. And then maybe there's an adjustment of the medication, but also that doesn't need to happen in person. So that's, that's a very typical use case. And also, if you look at primary care, for example, 
much of what they do is related to follow-up of, of people with long-lasting conditions, not necessarily chronic, but conditions who aren't just short. <laughs> what are you observing in terms of the costs for healthcare? So what? how has telemedicine affected the overall cost of healthcare in, in 2023? On the one hand, sometimes doctors can be averse towards telemedicine exactly because they fear that it wouldn't be paid in the same amount as in-person visits. And at the same time, it can often happen that patients use uh, more of healthcare because of the easy access to clinicians if we talk about messaging and portals that uh, patients use to reach their clinicians. So what do you know about any research that has anything to say on this? And if there's anything specific that you can share, especially about the Norwegian and Scandinavian market, yeah. it would be great that we have the whole context. Yeah, yeah. When it comes to the remuneration to the doctor, that was already in the process of being fixed before the pandemic, fixed in the sense that they would get the same remuneration for for a video call as they would for a physical consultation. And this applies in most countries in Europe as well as the US. Definitely what hadn't already been fixed before the pandemic was fixed in the pandemic. <laughs> so today in all of the countries that I know about, the doctor will get the same remuneration from a video call as they will from a physical consultation. Which countries are we talking about? I just want to pinpoint specifically. Uh, US, Canada, Norway, Sweden, Denmark, Finland, Germany, UK, France, etc, etc. <laughs> okay. Yeah. But of course, there's a different question, and that's the overall cost for healthcare. So then, of course, the question is, if the issue is resolved in, if they're having a video call, does, is the issue resolved or not? Because if it's not resolved, then you'll have an additional phys physical consultation which means that you have done double work if if you compare to having a physical consultation straight away so that comes back to the issue of sorting which cases should go to a video consultation and which shouldn't and that i think is the learning curve that we to some degree have had already but we also need i guess every practitioner needs to have that learning curve to sort the the different cases but because obviously if the doctor is doing two consultations where they before would have done one then the since they get paid for both there will be a higher cost for for this but most of the time the doctor won't do that if they do it right and then they will if they only have a video consultations where they used to have a physical consultation they will be it will be more efficient so they they'll get they'll get more done and then of course who gets the benefit that's that's an interesting question i think definitely the patient gets the benefit they don't have to travel and and the doctor is probably a little better off since they are able to do more consultations where each consultation has the same pay. So maybe it does increase overall cost of healthcare a little bit. And I would also like to point to the fact that if it's easier for the patient to have a consultation, maybe that translates to more demand. So you'll get, you'll get more consultations than what you had before. And you could think of that in isolation as, uh, as an increase in the total cost. But then you also have to think of it as an increase of the overall health in the population. Better access to care translates to better health.
all the tools that are now being developed to help with summarization of records, structuring of patient records, hopes that we could eventually mine this data and just find new findings. So how do you see the changes or the expectations around the easily available large language models on the provision of healthcare and telemedicine? It's very interesting. I I am one of the so some people believe this is all a hype. I'm the ones one of the ones that don't believe it's just a hype. It's an actual thing. I think but I think we have to recognize that it's in a very early stage at the moment and the development is happening very rapidly. Healthcare will probably be affected but might not be the first that's very affected. I think we should view the machine learning tools especially large language models as an addition to the toolbox that's available to to healthcare practitioners. Specifically, what I think will happen is that is that of course first there needs to be ways to deploy the language models that doesn't involve sending all the healthcare data to a different country. I think that's that needs to happen first. But I think that's just around the corner, so that will come. Definitely for consultations, the ability to. Of course, you can already record consultations, the ability to create a transcript that makes sense and turn the transcript into a doctor's clinical note so that the doctors don't have to write the clinical notes themselves. I think that's the natural next step. And I can see that coming in three to four years from now, which means basically that that doctors don't have to write clinical notes anymore, which will be a huge work saving for them. Like I think they spend today maybe 30 to 40 percent of their time just writing clinical notes so if we can get that to work and I, I say we because i see that as our job in the tech industry to to make that work properly for for clinicians so then, when you say three to four years where did that number come from did you have a specific market in mind because the u.s healthcare it space is much more evolved and there's a lot more investment in that compared to Europe where a lot of hospitals are still only being digitized. I think Germany doesn't have one hospital that would, for example, have MRAM 6 assessment by HIMSS of the digital maturity. We have to differentiate a little bit. What do we mean? And especially since Scandinavia also has a long history of healthcare digitalization and is very advanced in that sense, how does this fit into the context of... When I say three to four years, I mean that the technology will be available and will be mature enough for actual deployment in, in healthcare. Whether it will be deployed, I guess it's a little bit up to the individual healthcare systems. But but this will be so sa- cost-saving that I can see a significant driving force to adopt this everywhere. So probably some of the forward-leaning healthcare systems in the US will be early with this. I think the healthcare systems in Scandinavia will probably be early and the UK as well. The NHS is quite forward-leaning in this respect. 
Germany probably will be a little behind as usual, but I think there will be a strong driving force there as well. It needs to be integrated. This is a thing that really needs to be integrated with the health record systems. Otherwise, it will be too cumbersome. So this is an when we get this, when the clinical notes get directly into into the healthcare system, um, health record system, we will have we will need to have the video calls integrated into the health record system as well, so that there's a total connection between the, what's being said in the consultation and what goes into the clinical note. So that's also one reason why. I believe that the steps that we took, taking one step back and providing a video calling API rather than a full standalone software solution was the right step. I mentioned earlier that the Nordic countries are highly digitized. They have a long history. Norway had a center for integrated care and telemedicine, which I'm not sure if it still exists, but it was basically focused on just the development and research in telemedicine space since 1993. And the Nordic vision for 2030 is to create the world's most sustainable and integrated health tech region. Can you maybe talk a little bit more about that, put that in the context? Because if you look at any strategy of any country, everybody wants to be the best and the leader. So how how can Norway or the Nordic countries, how can they convince us? Yeah, that's a fascinating topic. So I'd like to highlight some basic facts about the Nordics that people don't think about uh, when they look at the Nordics and see and think, why is it happening like this here? And first of all, the population is highly digitized. So everyone has access to or almost everyone, I should say, are what we call digitally literate. So they're able to use services like that. So I think that's the first thing. The other thing is that the Nordics is actually five different countries, Norway, Sweden, Finland, Denmark, and Iceland, all with very similar systems, but still separate countries with their separate separate IT stacks, separate healthcare system and also separate development and innovation. So to some extent, there's a kind of, you have five different centers that kind of compete with each other in becoming better, if you understand what I mean. There's always a lot of looking, oh, they're doing this, that works well, then we will copy that. (laughs) And this happens, especially in the public sector, this is a force that, that provides a constant inspiration for the public sector to become better. And this is especially important in healthcare because of obviously almost all of healthcare in all of Scandinavia is, is organized as part of the public sector. So I think, uh, I think that's the driving force. And specifically when it comes to telehealth, Sweden was definitely the leader in innovating on that which was paradoxical because they had the most arcane uh, primary care system of all the five different countries. And that actually it's the arcaneness of their primary care system that led to the the innovation that mostly happened in the private sector initially, but then it, it also became part of the public sector offering. And much of what happened in Norway was due to the fact that the Swedes, there were certain companies in Norway copying what the Swedes did. And also the Swedes, some of the Swedish companies launched in Norway as well. 
And seen from Sweden, it's Norway is a natural extension of their business. <laughs> and that led to a reaction by the public sector. We also have to do this. So you have this dynamic where there is, there is good cooperation, cooperation, but still a little bit of, of competition. It's a bit like sports in a way. It's like a friendly competition. <laughs> so this is the driving force behind much of what's what's going well in the Nordics. And but yeah, I have to complain a little bit about the, about the hospital systems because they have been slow to adapt, particularly in in Norway, where there's a big contrast between primary care, which is mostly driven by independent practitioners, and hospitals, which are huge organizations, much bigger organizations in Norway than in the US, for example, which is paradoxical. You have Norway is divided into four health regions. So you basically have four different organizations for the whole country. (laughs) And there it's been very slow. But I think that it's in speciality care that it can make the biggest difference because there's they have to cover huge geographical areas. So they will have patients that live long travel distances from the hospitals and also have a much higher need for close monitoring and close collaboration with healthcare personnel. So this is where it could have made the biggest difference. <laughs> but then I, if you compare with other countries, it's probably this, probably the situation is the same there. But the, just the fact that you have already the, the primary care sector has started using it so much will eventually bring them over as well. (laughs) And how do you see the emergence of at-home testing as well? I think that's one of the innovations in care provision that's making the biggest difference for patients. Because as you mentioned, if you do a video consultation and still need to go to the lab or still need to go to a physical visit, you really didn't do much. But if, you know, the doctor just orders some lab tests and you can get an at-home test kit delivered to your home, you take the sample and that sample gets transferred to a certified laboratory, then that's a game changer in terms of the patient experience. Is that already happening in in Scandinavia? It is. And if you look at mental health, that's been happening. Obviously, in the mental health, the test isn't a blood sample. It's a scoring thing. And that's been going on online for quite some time already. To some extent, mental health is, is a forerunner in this space. But when it, comes to, when it comes to blood samples, it's already been a thing that you can go and, and get your blood sample taken at laboratory rather than, than the doctor. And that's being used both in primary care and specialist care. So doing the sample at home is just a natural extension of that. You mentioned that there's a lot of innovation and collaboration happening in the Nordic countries. Are there any specific projects or companies that you find inspiring in terms of also making it globally? Anything that comes specifically from this region? Yeah, I'd like to mention coming back to the hospitals again. There are a couple of companies that that have really been focusing on producing holistic patient journey in the hospital setting. And that's a really complex thing to do because you need to support many different... The journey is so different whether you have whether you have a brain tumor or if you have some other conditions, like the journey varies a lot. So you have to be able to create a tool that's fairly generic while at the same time specific enough, enough for the practitioners to perceive it as something that's tailored to them. 
So I'd like to mention a, a company called Diffia, for example. They really excelled in in providing a tool like that. And there's been running a tender now for for the health regions in Norway for such a tool. And Diffia was one of the companies that that was selected and basically they allow the hospital to run to define and run workflows for patients that are remote and that's still completely integrated with the health record system so all the um, communication and all the tests and everything is also recorded into the health record system one thing caught my attention so you mentioned the tendering process we don't talk about this very often with the speakers I have on the show but I think it's interesting to mention especially for startups and innovators when they're thinking how to get in to the hospital to hospitals in Europe oftentimes the case is that basically hospitals need to have some sort of a dedicated budget for innovation where startups or just companies that are established even stand a chance. So what are your experiences in that sense? Like what would your advice be in terms of how can innovation enter the hospital space in the Nordic countries? Yeah, it's really difficult. (laughs) When we started Confrere before the pandemic, we talked to both people in, in hospitals as well as in in primary care and uh, there's a huge difference in as i mentioned in the way they're organized in the, in the primary care it usually it's mostly individual practitioners who can decide uh, themselves what tool to purchase etc so they're not they don't have any tendering processes but they're still paid by the government through the, the standardized remuneration Whereas hospitals, they have budgets and and they need to run tenders for everything that that's, has any significant economic impact. They do have budgets for innovation, though. So it's completely possible to run innovation products with them as a startup and often fairly easy to get started with that. But I would say that you might see that as a trap because if you get into an innovation project with a hospital, then you're really focusing on a hospital use case and you're collaborating with the hospital people. But at some point, you have to turn that into real business. And to turn that into real business, the hospital has to run a tender. They can't just take what they did in an innovation project and turn it into into a, a real project. So this means that there's a lot of there's a lot of innovation projects pilots going on in hospitals but not so many purchases. We call it the pilot illness. <laughs> you, you actually have that expression. You actually use that expression. There's an expression that's called pilot illness, pilotsyke, yes. <laughs> it's basically that there's a lot of pilots that happens but not so many actual deployments and Getting over that is a real significant hurdle that's really difficult to get across. Our strategy in Confrere was to avoid the problem by focusing on primary care first and foremost. And the thesis was that if we can get primary care to start using video consultations, then we will eventually also get get the hospitals. We did manage that. We did get helped by a pandemic. So maybe it's necessary to have a pandemic to make it happen, but but hopefully it's, it isn't. Diffia is a different example. They focused on the hospital use case right from the start. 
and they have done a lot of pilots with different hospitals. And I just, I have to say, I admire their stamina because they've basically been holding out with very few resources for many years before they finally were able to get through a tender in, in the hospitals. Where do you see the most potential or desire from the patient or industry side to improve healthcare and the state of digitalization in the Nordic countries? What's still missing? Where do you see the biggest opportunities? There's a lot of desire from the patient, that's for sure. So the hurdle is not with the patients. <laughs> it has never been. So yeah, I think with, with primary care, the hurdle is with the practitioners and by extension with figuring out when it makes sense and when it doesn't. When it comes to specialist care, I think there's a couple of hurdles and one is definitely the complex systems. You need to really work to get the need recognized to get allocated a budget for it and then you can go and do the, the tender thing. The other thing with specialist care is that it's specialist. <laughs> there's like a hospital is a large organization that handles a lot of different things. That's the problem with making something for a hospital is that it's so diverse. It's so many needs. If you're making, if you're making a product for the f banking sector, for example, you can be pretty sure that most of the business in the banks are similar and the banks have similar needs and they all do know your customer checks, for example. So you can, for example, you can make a product that that industrializes and know your customer checks. And then you can sell it to all the banks because all the banks need it. In a hospital, if you make a product that really serves the needs of someone specific, let's say you make a product that, that can identify brain tumors in MRI image. That's awesome. Then you, maybe you have helped humanity by doing that. But the problem is you can only sell it to hospitals. You can only sell it to hospitals who have a radiology department with an MRI unit who doesn't already have a software like that. So you have a very limited market. And this is the problem. Whenever you make something that's really great for them, it becomes so special that the market is too little. And really the best you can do is to make something that's fairly generic so that all the personnel or many, much of the personnel in the hospital can use it. But then they will all feel like this isn't optimal. It's not good software because it's not really made for my use case. That's a conundrum that you have to tackle. And then, of course... It's really, it's really difficult to, like, just selling your software in one country to the hospitals there is difficult. Then if you need, if you need to go to other markets and sell it there too, then it becomes, like, you're basically starting from scratch. You have to do everything again in the other country. You've been listening to Faces of Digital Health, a proud member of the Health Podcast Network. If you enjoyed the show, do leave a rating or a review wherever you get your podcast subscribe to the show or follow us on LinkedIn. Additionally, check out our newsletter. You can find it at fodh.substack.com. That's fodh.substack.com. Stay tuned.